listening to The Living Force, a UTD podcast. Seismic charges. Stand by. Episode 2, Mastered Apprentice Roundtable, Part 2. I don't like Sam. On this episode, the Master and Apprentice Roundtable strikes back. Wow! What do you know? Count Dooku's new nickname is what? This is a mistake, a terrible mistake. They've gone too far. This is mad. And Corey's new palace in Alderaan. Get him, Dad! Get him! With your hosts, Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, and Charles Hankel. Begun. The Clone War has... It just, get, it just gets me going. I know, you know? it's so good. <laughs> it's so public domain. It is. It is. <laughs> we own this. We're in the public. We are. We are indeed. Alright, I'm just gonna And like yeah. Matt's voice is so milky. Like it's it so smooth Milky. And... It's like a it's like a dark chocolate. What does that milky. mean? It's like well, when I don't you... even it might not be Matt that records the next one. I might get I might get Freddie to do it. Ooh, that's right. We have so many amazing talented people our, on our team. Our our bullpen of narrators. That's right. Um and whoever was in that bullpen that just did that intro, I'm sure did a great job. And welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Living Force Podcast. Uh, in direct response to our spiritual successor, Attack of the Clones, we're coming at you with another Master and Apprentice episode. Um, but before we get to all of that, let's tell let's you hope, who we are. Let's hope <laughs> yeah. it's not the uh, the worst episode of the Living Force Podcast. <laughs> or the longest uh, or until the, longest. the eighth one. That's right. <laughs> As you've heard our voices already, I hope if you've heard episode one, my name is Eric Eilerson. I'm the content manager at Utini, and with me again today are Corey Helton. Hello, Corey. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Corey uh, Helton, founder of Utini, the master, the maker. Thank the maker. The Senate. <laughs> and uh, Charles Hankel. What's up, dude? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. I'm actually riding a high because I received a superlative from my med school class today, and it was most likely to wear a Jedi robe instead of his white coat on wards. <laughs> yes! That that's is... That's if excellent. that doesn't sum it up, I, I don't know what does. That's fantastic. Yeah, that doesn't do that. I, I got um, most likely to quit medicine and go into finance, so make that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, both of those should have to do with Utini, right? Because this is yes. how you're actually going to... Gonna make the golden goose with this whole thing. Allegedly. Hopefully. Ideally. I'll also try to make that my only like eighteen hundreds reference of the golden goose at this point. <laughs> um But all this golden riffing aside, we're gonna get into our second part of our Master and Apprentice review uh by Claudia Gray. If you haven't heard our first episode, go on and pause this, head up to the feed so you can see what we first talked about and how much we love this book. But before we get into all of that, Corey, what's going on at Utini this week? What are we working on? So this has kind of been a slower week in comparison to the last couple of weeks, but we got a few things done. We were working on getting the graphic novels and comic books up on the site. We have a huge, I think there's like 500 books we're going to upload at one time. So we've been busy away at that and getting really close on the bookshelf. That's our like kind of book collection tracker. You can like list what Star Wars books you've already read and stuff. That's getting pretty close mm-hmm. too. So we made some progress. I bought a house. Oh, yeah. I bought a yeah, house. Yeah, I was like, yeah, tell them about your house. What? We, yes. Not we shamed, related. We shamed listeners by not admitting that Corey bought a house before last episode. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. We forgot to talk about that. I said it in the first, in the episode zero. I said I was going to look at, look at a house that weekend, and I did look at a house that weekend. I liked it so much that I bought it. So, You're a homeowner. I am, kind of. We're not closed yet, but. <laughs> you you know. will soon possibly be maybe kind of a homeowner. Hopefully this time next week I'm not explaining to you guys 
um, how terrible the house that I thought I was going to buy was <laughs> and how it's in garbage shape and the roof has got holes in it and the basement's cracked and yeah, home inspections on Wednesday. <laughs> All right, excellent. Hopefully it doesn't have a bad motivator. Oh. That's a Star Wars reference, everybody. <laughs> um, more to come, more to come. Exactly. So, Charles, you got superlatives. Corey, you bought a house. I am just going. I'm still trucking, everybody. The three of us have been fortunate enough to begin the first ever canonical Star Wars audio drama, Dooku Jedi Lost by Kevin Scott. And, guys, I just want you to give me your like 140-character Twitter-length initial response responses to dooku jedi lost mm, see i'm new to twitter so i'm still trying to get my uh lengths down appropriately but I'll, I'll hop in here i will say uh dooku jedi lost or character found loving the book so far doing amazing things for the character of dooku can't wait to talk about it excellent mm. or was someone counting how many characters was that i mean probably, probably no one was too counting. many Okay. I mean, two, although they did go to 280 <laughs> last year, so maybe part you're one safe. and part two, a yes. thread, if you will. That's right. That's right. Uh, my Twitter response to Dooku Jedi Lost so far. I'm real. I'm not into it very far, um, but my response so far is uh, it real good. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Twitter. That's yeah. Twitter. Corey tweets um, like the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> At Star Wars Hulk, Corey Hulk. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. Um, it's very different than anything we've ever seen before, and um, I like it. Yes, I'm going to agree with that pretty 100%. I'm really digging it. I am pretty far through. I think it's doing great stuff for Dooku. I'm loving how it's produced. The time and effort that really went into the writing and the acting is so evident. And if you're listening to this right now, pick it up. We have links to it on Utini and how to pick it up. And we will be discussing it at length in a future episode for sure. This is a longer piece of media i guess i mean it clocks in at nine hours or so so it takes a while to get through wow i didn't know it was that long it's pretty long i i Mm. might also totally be lying but we will get to that in due time well hello there i'm meg and i'm a content creator at utini.com i want to tell you about one of my favorite star wars books dark disciple we all know asajj ventress as dooku's apprentice and ruthless assassin but there's a much softer side to one of the greatest female villains in the galaxy This book will take you on a journey full of heartbreak, loss, and triumph as you witness a disciple of the dark become a true hero. You can check out my article about Ventress and so much more on our website. You're listening to the Living Force Podcast, and as always, may the Force be with you. Master and Apprentice, Charles, when we last left our heroes, where were we? Yeah, so um, again, this is probably the time to throw in the spoiler alert. Again, we're going to be talking about everything in depth. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. So when we left off, we were talking about Rail Avaros, one of the uh, new Jedi characters that was introduced in this book. Uh, Dooku's old apprentice, um, someone that was sort of a big brother figure to Qui-Gon in a lot of ways. And we were specifically talking about the tragedy that was in Rail's past that really informs his character when we meet him and that was the killing of his apprentice or his old padawan uh nim piana is it nim piana nim something uh, it was nim nim p you know old nim p yeah nim p good old <laughs> i love nim p <laughs> i love oh, sorry she's real dead we can't start like this uh nim 
So Nim was killed, and the way that Nim was killed was that someone used a tracker dart on her in the middle of a battle that essentially made her be brainwashed and attack Rail. And Rail had to either give up on his mission or save his Padawan, and he chose to see his mission through, and he had to strike his Padawan down. And that was such a crushing way to introduce this character and what he's been through and where we're meeting him. I mean, how did that hit you two? It was hard, man. I mean, Rail is such a cool character in this book because he's the Han Solo Jedi. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's cool. He's a little rough, but he also has a lightsaber. So he's he kind of sex. <laughs> he has sex, which is he leaves G's <laughs> off the end of words sometimes, which is exactly. Cool. So he's got this really cool vibe to him, which which is a stark contrast, especially to Obi Wan, uh, but also to like Qui Gon and pretty much all the Jedi we've met. So then, what's, to realize, what's the what's the Jedi's name in um, in Dark Disciple? What's that guy's name again? Quinlan Vos. Quinlan yeah, Vos, he's a lot yeah. like Quinlan Vos. I, I picture I picture Quinlan Vos when I when I hear real. Yeah. Oh, I love I love that they get along super well. They probably did, honestly. And I really liked this intro of Rail because I'm also a sucker for the trope of the good guys that are marred in tragedy of their past and they just yeah. carry it along. It's a really great thing to go to, and Claudia Gray does a really good job at not making that the center point of rail, but it also never leaves him at the same time. It's always kind of coloring everything he does. And I think that was a really hard narrative line to ride, but I think she does it real well. Yeah. I think with the ending as well, we see him essentially trying to replace Nim in a lot of ways with princess Mm -hmm. Fanry for sure. And the way that that whole relationship turns out is a tragedy in and of itself. And we'll get into that more towards the end but something that i brought up to you guys off air and i want to hear your thoughts on it this was following last episode was i think that knowing that rail had to kill nim had to kill his padawan who was relatively young at the time actually serves to make the obi-wan anakin confrontation down the line that much more powerful and that much more heartbreaking because you see someone essentially killing someone that he grew up or, or thinking he's killing someone that he essentially grew up with that he raised that is his brother that he loves i mean what do you guys think about that after after hearing it this is a this is like a perfect place to plug the beauty that is the revenge of the sith novelization yes it is we are an expanded universe podcast if you have not read the episode three novelization you need to Oh my gosh! It's uh, yes. There, you go. <laughs> Charles is currently holding it in this video call we're using to record this. Um, it's super, super good, man. The episode three novelization is by far the best novelization is and is universally loved by everyone. It's in our top five books ever at Utini. Um, and it's foundational one of our foundational five. books. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of our foundational books. Um, and it's so good. It's so good. It perfectly captures the tragedy between Anakin and Padme. It perfectly captures the tragedy between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And yeah, I was thinking about that a lot. You know, Obi-Wan had to have this whole thing in the back of his mind, I guess. You know, this book kind of creates that story for Obi-Wan that, that he had this thing when he was young and dealing with this Jedi that killed his Padawan and all the tragedy that went, went along with that. And um, yeah, I, I, I thought that was a, a beautiful analogy to make. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we often gloss over the fact that Obi-Wan says, don't send me to kill Anakin. He's like my brother. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to say, especially when you're the age we were, like, 
11 to 13 year old seeing this movie like why doesn't he just kill him like he's got a lightsaber and you forget (laughs) the incredible emotional toll of decades of character work that is exemplified in the clone wars especially to bring it back to your point charles seeing the pain and life-changing personality traits that rail got from killing his padawan of what three or four years in like a totally legitimate way like she was it was all self-defense there was no malice on her part, which probably made it harder, but that wrecked him for life, and he was way more, he was way older, probably, and ready for it than Obi-Wan ever could have been, so the yeah, tragedy and, is exemplified. And I do want to point out, too, that I thought the the dart, it was it, I'm sorry, was it a tracker dart? I can't uh, remember exactly. Uh, slicer dart. Spli- they, they, they called it a slicer dart. Is that new in Star Wars? Okay. I've not heard that before. I haven't heard of it, but I it feel like familiar. it might have exist. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was what I was going to say, is that it feels very Legends-y to me. Like, it yeah. feels weird enough that it was, that, that yeah, it could have been seen in some old Legends. It's, 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 been a, it's been a long time since I've, uh, I've really had a deep dive in, in Legends with all the canons that we've had the last couple of years. But it does sound like something that would be casually dropped. So, I mean, if you're listening, let us know what the Slicer Dart is. We should look it up on Wikipedia, though. <laughs> or yeah. a Sing's got one, I bet, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was picturing that dark that Django shot. What's her face with? The Camino Saber Dart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one of these since I was prospecting on Subterrell. <laughs> Obi-Wan. Oh, man, that was beautiful right there. <laughs> oh, oh is by far the most quotable character in all of Star Wars. <laughs> Hashtag protect Dex. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, to answer so, your question, I don't. I don't remember where that's from. I wonder. It must be from. Must be from Legends. We'll figure yeah, it, it out. Yeah, it was called a slicer we'll dart. But there's there's some good story that that you could get out of that one little invention there. That was nifty. But let's talk about some other weird stuff because we have a lot of prophecies to get through, and prophecies had a lot to do with this book specifically. Different Jedi's. And what they thought about prophecies throughout their lives. We saw them look at them as more of a mental exercise. We saw them look at them as more to do with the person reading the prophecies and what that makes them read into themselves as opposed to a literal Mm -hmm. interpretation of the prophecies. And I want to run through a lot of them because I think there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So yeah, one one thing I was going to comment on on the prophecies mm-hmm. in general is I don't know that this book really resolves anything about the prophecies, which is very interesting. Like you you would think that a canon book like this that was meant to explain a lot of Qui Gon and Obi Wan's character development, you would think it would kind of conclusively answer the question: Is Anakin the chosen one, or whatever? Right. Mm-hmm. That's been such a huge question forever. But I don't think we learned really anything. No, and I, and I think that's the brilliance of the bold choice to do that from from my perspective anyway i I love i totally yeah yeah i love the ambiguity of it and i love the idea that you know we have these like characters that have been thought to be so infallible as the jedi right like we have figured out qui-gon is this yoda is this and to see the fact that dooku and qui-gon throughout this book thought about prophecy in like 18 different ways and maybe Qui-Gon never quite figured out where he landed on it adds a whole new layer to that character for me like he doesn't know what the prophecies mean he studied them for years how could we as readers figure that out after 300 pages you know yeah right and I think Corey you brought up the point that you know we didn't really learn anything 
I would argue that the best prophecies are as vague as possible and can yeah. be interpreted in According any which way. According to this book, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, human history, like no, the prophecy yes. said I can twist it however I want to forward my political goals, which is the nice. terrifying thing about yeah. prophecy. And she just addresses it head on. She does. So so let's run through some of them. I think I've pulled out every single one. We may not hit all of them, but let's just go ahead and dive into a few. The first one that I have down here is only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. What is happening, <laughs> Eric? What does that mean? To me, that is it's got to be straight up the nameless have to be the slaves for me. Slavery is a huge thing in this book, huge thing in Star Wars right now as we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. And the fact that Qui-Gon gets so angry about the Jedi doing nothing for the slaves he encounters on Pajal is huge. He's being faced with slavery, something that he's not seeing on Coruscant, right? We talked about this in our Long Lost Queen Shadow podcast, but when people <laughs> of these privileged worlds are put face-to-face with slavery, they're horrified. So the idea that the Jedi did nothing to help these nameless people on Pijal, on Tatooine, all throughout the galaxy, is such an egregious offense in like to the Force itself that maybe that's one of the reasons why, cosmically, the Purge was allowed to happen. Because they had turned their backs on so many people that ended up dying, they kind of had to even that out a little bit. Um, what if the nameless are the clones? Ooh, also great, also good. That. Oh my god, yeah. Because they're numbers. Because they're yes. in numbers. Oh my god! Exactly. They had to give themselves names. Exactly. So the clones, the clones were just caught up in this huge intergalactic conflict, and that's my favorite oh. thing about the Clone Wars is that it's such a commentary on: Do the clones matter? Are they individual people? Why didn't the Jedi really view them as people? Like, this, oh. I, I love that. I love that stuff. That was my favorite stuff. Yeah, that's incredible, and it. I was going to take it the – I like your answer way better, but I was going to take it the other way and just kind of make it that the Jedi have failed in their job just in terms of what Jedi should truly be doing. They failed essentially the entire galaxy. Yeah, the Um, nameless is kind of everybody, I guess. Yeah, the nameless – yeah, you can't name everyone. So they've really failed everyone and – you know, we know what it means, the sacrifice of many Jedi, you know, that we're talking about the fall of Jedi Order 66 and all of that. I think that's pretty clear. I but think I love so, that. too, yeah. And I think what this book is doing, cool, t- to kind of put a bite on that point, this book takes no pleasure in I- I- idolizing the Jedi. It yeah. really, oh, yeah. the whole order. all over him, the whole yeah, book. the and order it's, is it's, put on blast, and I'm like, that okay, is so actually, ballsy. Actually, I, I, I kind of spoke a little quick. They don't crap on the Jedi the whole book. In fact, they don't actually really crap on the Jedi directly at all the entire book. But just the vibe that it paints, it's just mm-hmm. the utter failure of the Jedi is so apparent in this book, and it's really yeah. beautiful. Especially through the eyes of Qui-Gon. Yes. And it makes me be like, yes. God, next time I watch Phantom Menace, I'm going to be seeing him at the council being like, all y'all are wrong. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want to do because you have all failed for millennia. Yeah. Well, and I think that it, it makes it particularly interesting for those of us, we three fall into this category that grew up with the prequels because we were so used to just looking at the Jedi as kids, like what you said earlier, Eric, just like guys with laser swords, like they're the good guys, they're right in this situation, like they're the awesome, they're going to force jump and fix everything, and we're all going to go home happy. But when you really get older and you start looking at some of the things the Jedi did, exactly like what they did with the clones, Corey, you start questioning them and we're getting some of that here. We're, we're kind of hearing characters voice some of the thoughts that we've probably had over the years as well. 
It's kind of like in Black Panther when T'Challa realizes that his father left Killmonger in California. And he's like, Wakanda's been wrong. We've been hiding ourselves in the world. And like that lifelong belief kind of gets eroded. Stay in your universe, Eric. <laughs> Damn, it's all <laughs> Disney, man. We're all shills. Come on. <laughs> okay. All right. Prophecy number two. Because we have quite a few to get through. It says, when the force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. Now, this one is even more vague. And I'm going to throw something at you guys that I thought of. When they said past and future must split and combine, all I'm thinking about is like, spoiler alert, if you have not seen the end of Rebels, I should probably throw that out. Skip ahead like a minute. Um, but the weird Ezra and Ahsoka stuff at the end of Rebels that had to space do between with worlds. Like, yeah, the space between worlds and there were you know he was at different points in time. There was essentially time travel. I don't know if it's maybe some kind of reference to that, or maybe if Claudia Gray was just like, I wonder what people are gonna make of this one while she was <laughs> slamming her hands on her keyboard. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because in an interview she did with some podcast, I forgot who, uh, she admitted that. Lucasfilm didn't really give her any prophecies or give her any overhead. She had free reign to make these up however she wanted. That is surprising. It it is, but it's also like it's Claudia Gray, you know? Like True, if we're <laughs> going to trust somebody. Look at the track record. So that being said, maybe, you know, maybe it was just some craziness that she was putting together, but I like the world between worlds thing a lot because the Force itself sickens is the is the mm-hmm. weird part there. I have no idea what to make of that. Yeah, because again, that brings up what you said last week, Charles, or the first week, whatever it was, about the living force. Is it the cosmic force? Like, what, what is sickening? Is it life itself? Is it the reemergence of evil? So I think that that's murky. No wonder Qui Gon was so obsessed with these. <laughs> he took years. <laughs> he just laid awake at night, as I do now after reading this book. Yes. So that's a solid. Uh, we don't know. We don't know about that one. Corey had nothing quite so eloquent as his last point. No, no. All right. That was, my, that was my one moment of brilliance for this episode. <laughs> Prophecy number three. She who will be born to darkness will give birth to darkness. I think this one's probably more straightforward, but what did you guys think of that one? Uh, I know what I want it to mean. I want it to mean that... Um... We're gonna get something with Ventress. <laughs> mm. I would love. To, I would oh! love to see. I would love to see some sort of uh, spinoff book or comic series about Ventress where she has like children. I would love to see that. Like, like I, I know that you know. Spoiler alert: If you have not read Dark Disciple, uh, skip ahead. But she totally dies at the end of Dark Disciple, and, and distinctly childless. Yes, distinctly childless. So, I mean, as far as we know, maybe there was a time gap in there somewhere. I would love to see that. Like, the the Night Sisters were a very interesting um, group of fourth u- Force users and stuff. So, I would love to see something like that. But but okay. it's Leia, I think. <laughs> I, I, th- <laughs> like, I, th- I agree. I, I right. love that. But it's Le- I, it's got to be Leia. You know, like, born of Vader giving birth to Kylo Ren. Yeah. I feel like that's got to be that. That's kind of what I was thinking as well. And maybe that gives us... A hint. I mean, again, Claudia Gray apparently wrote these on her own, but maybe that gives us a hint of what could happen in Rise of Skywalker, Ep Nine. Maybe we don't mm-hmm. see a Ben Solo redemption. Maybe he is true darkness, and maybe that's yeah. how he goes out. I, w- we'll I, w- I want to see him be a real villain, and everybody freak out because people don't want him to be a real villain. I I, I'm torn. I'm torn, man, because I like that, but also like Star Wars is all about hope and redemption. Like that's I been know. the whole thing about it. <clears throat> yeah, and it's the last yeah. one. 
Like, <laughs> I also find it hard to believe that that's not going to be what's going to happen. Like, I can't really imagine otherwise, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Okay, well, you guys can go tune into our uh, episode nine um, thoughts <laughs> in a different episode because we got more prophecies to get <laughs> through, got, boys. Let's go, let's go. Um, all right, so the next one, this one's really cool, and I think we're going to spend a little bit of more time on this because this is the one that the book tells us Dooku was obsessed with. Okay, and it reads, He who learns to conquer death will, through his greatest student, live again. Boom. I mean, who, speaking who of Ebnine. the student who's conquering death? Yeah, speaking well, of Ebnine. Well, have you, guys, have you guys read Plagueis? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so Plagueis is about um, the Emperor's uh, master, Palpatine. Darth Plagueis the Wise, you hear it referenced in uh, episode three. It's a really great book by James Luceno. I'd uh, encourage you to check it out. Um, he conquers death in that book. And every time I see conquering death anywhere in Star Wars Legends, mm-hmm. I always think of Plagueis because mm-hmm. uh, Plagueis in the old Legends expanded universe, Plagueis sort of canonized how Anakin was created through the Force. So, like, Plagueis kind of answers the question, is Anakin the Chosen One? But we don't have to go there right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I was kind of leaning towards towards that. Uh, he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. I mean, Palpatine was his greatest student. We don't know what that means mm-hmm. for the dark side. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about episode nine, maybe having something to do with this. Yeah, I, I think that for me, it could also be one generation down where Palpatine figured out how to conquer death and lives again through Anakin, which Anakin's bloodline being Kylo Ren. I like the idea that because he was the one now canonically in the Vader comic who created Anakin through a, through the unbalance in the forest, he has somehow manipulated the Skywalker bloodline to find his own touch of immortality. So I think that there's definitely a possibility of that. That being said, that laugh could also have come from a holocron they find in the movie and have nothing to do with Palpatine's spirit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I like the you, idea of that being what Why it is. do you guys think that Dooku is obsessed with this prophecy? Well, that's that's the question. And I think it, it could be that he might believe that he is, in one way or another, the greatest student or who's being referred to in the prophecy. Because if you look at what he truly understands... We don't know what he may or may not have known about Plagueis or how much Sidious knows and how much dark side knowledge he can really pass on. Is it possible that he thinks that, you know, Sidious is the end all be all and that he is that greatest student? Hmm. Yeah, we ha- we really haven't I don't know if the new if the Dooku book covers much of this. Does it cover much of any re- relationship of Dooku with Palpatine? Uh, uh I just got to the point where Palpatine's introduced. Okay. And without spoiling any, end, without right? spoiling it, yeah, without spoiling anything, the timeline of when when Qui Gon and Dooku talk about that prophecy is before he meets Palpatine for the first time. Okay, so yeah, he wouldn't, he, Sidious wouldn't have affected him being upset. I would, with I would this love prophecy. to see that. Uh, I would love to see some stuff about that because we we don't get a whole lot of Emperor Dooku stuff. Period. Mm-hmm. Like there's a little tiny amount in the Clone Wars, but it's always you know Dooku talking to the Emperor through a hologram like this. That's like all we get. Like I want right. to see, I want to see the real dark side stuff. Like you get in all the old legend stuff, like the Darth Bane trilogy and stuff, where you get uh, people talking to their masters and things like that. I, w- I would love to see that. I really want a Palpatine solo book. I want I want the one that shows us that has the Plagueis timeline, but in Palpatine's life. I want him training Maul oh. and training mm-hmm. Dooku all the while knowing it's Anakin, like balancing all these different things at the same time these three separate apprentices and ultimately his end game turns out exactly how he wants 
How the hell did that happen? Well, because all of his students, you have to believe, think that they are the uh, the Sith apprentice, right? Like the second of the rule of two. Yeah, as he's probably yeah. told them, like, if you are the strongest one, you will be the greatest student, and mm-hmm. I will not kill you. <laughs> yeah, unless no, it I serves mean... me politically, then you will die. <laughs> but I, but I do think that what you brought up, Corey, is probably the most likely thing that people jump to that read the expanded universe and that have read Legends, have read Plagueis, because he is even in the in the movies what uh, what. Palpatine tells Anakin when they're at that super weird like opera house he says you know that he had such knowledge of the dark side he could even keep the ones he cared about from dying he delivers it much more effectively than that but um, (laughs) I love the casual conversation of that though like yeah I can stop him from dying yeah you know just it's a Tuesday it's a Tuesday for him (laughs) Um, but yeah I, I think that Plagueis is probably where a lot of people jump to and so that's if you want heavy lore, if you're listening to this and you want some heavy dark side lore, force lore, then that's a good option for you. But I do mean heavy. I do yeah, mean it heavy. is It is a thick book. And I also think we're, we might be ignoring the one elephant in the room that there's no reason all these thousands of year old prophecies happen in the same 80 years of the, true. the Skywalker saga. You know, that's these true. could all Very refer true. to things a million years in the future or that happened 15 years after they were originally written. So, yeah, so Eric, true. actually I'm going to skip ahead to some of the other, but something I do want to reference when you said that one of the prophecies is when the Kyber that is not Kyber shines forth, the time of prophecy will be at hand. So there's even a prophecy about the timing of the prophecy. Yeah. And which prophecies, <laughs> right? Like it's is that prophecyception? Like, <laughs> Yo yeah, dog, I heard you know. like prophecies. <laughs> and and so in this book, there's the Kyber that's not Kyber is likely referring to something called colon crystal colon colon crystals. What do you call mm-hmm. them? Colon <laughs> crystals sounds <laughs> terrible. I I read the I whole never, we I read medicine. the whole book and called it that the whole time, and it never occurred to me until saying it out loud that that sounds we're, like we're, I'm we're, talking we're, about feces. It's not I like mean, we're doctors or anything. The, the problem us. with the problem with Obi Wan in that last fight was that he didn't get his colon crystal checked. <laughs> you gotta have your regular colon crystal examination. Oh my god, colon crystals! That has to be you how need you more fiber. It. You need, I can't re- I you can't need more fiber. <laughs> more, oh, kyber, more, more kyber, more kyber in your diet. Save yeah. us. Save us. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> but to your so, but to your point, the when the Kyber that is not Kyber is found the time of prophecy will be at hand. As Qui-Gon in this novel, you can definitely infer that finding a crystal that you thought was Kyber that is not is now activating all these prophecies, absolutely. And yet I think that goes even further back in the novel to what I find to be the most important thing of all these prophecies, in that the prophecy says way more about the interpreter than it does about the words itself. If you can see a prophecy in your own life, that says more about you. Are you trying to reach out for control of the future because you're afraid of your present? Are you trying to observe your present as this grand prophecy because you're trying to feel a sense of inflated self-importance like Dooku was? Right. So rather than all these words actually manifesting things, you're manifesting your own destiny by how much you're relying on these prophecies. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's totally true. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's something that certain Jedi are arguing at certain points. And mm-hmm. it's hard to tell, you know, who's right about that. But I think it makes a lot of sense that it's kind of where you yourself meet the prophecy. 
Yeah. So who's, let's who's talk say, about. Sorry, go ahead. Eric. Oh, so yeah. My last sentence. Who's? I mean, who's to say Qui Gon didn't force Anakin into being the chosen one because he made it his dying wish? That's true. Maybe he wouldn't that have gone is, down that path. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have some more to get to here. The next one: When the righteous lose the light, evil once dead shall return. Eric, any yes. thoughts on that? Uh, Jedi purge. I think again. Okay. Once the, the Jedi lost their way completely and became generals and soldiers, so the Sith rose again to yeah. strike them down. That okay, one seems cool. to be, you know, that's what is the first thing that would jump to. Also, yeah. I mean, okay. The righteous. I the, I have the one. The Jedi are the righteous. The Sith are the evil ones dead. So. And I think that makes a ton of sense. I do have just because of the evil ones dead. Given that we're on the heels of the Ep Nine trailer again, I do have to say that I thought about could that be talking about Palpatine? He or Sidious? He's the evil ones dead returning, and the righteous losing the light could be referring to Palpatine's return after Luke, who is the righteous, cut he's himself the, off the from light. the Force. Yeah, yeah, like he is the light. Now he's cut himself off from the force, so he's lost the light, and now we see evil once dead return insidious. I can Listen, see that. I can't. I can't think of anything when I think of the emperor coming back, except for that really, really terrible story arc in Legends about the emperor's clone, and then getting there's a I forget what books there is, but they get like Luke's hand from <laughs> yeah from Cloud City when they cut it off and then cloned Luke and made him like a and dark it's Luke Jedi with two U's. Oh, gosh, oh, it's terrible! It's such a terrible Luke. story arc in Star Wars Legends, and I really hope they don't bring the Emperor back just like that. That would be so dumb. That's what we call a the book is due next week, man. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Let's hope. To, I, but I do like the. There's so much light imagery in the sequel trilogy. Especially with Poe and Holdo and Leia, how you know the spark that will ignite the fire, and as long as we have light, we have hope. And as far as Starkiller Base, there's a lot of imagery there, so I could see it. About these prophecies, just overall, I think we have to ask the question because Qui Gon asked the question: Who do the Jedi ultimately serve? Are they serving the individuals whom they meet out on their missions, who are in need of help in one way or another? Are they serving the Republic or the Senate as a whole? Um, are they serving the Force? Are they serving the Jedi Order and the Council? What is their mission exactly, and how do these prophecies play into that? This is my favorite sh- <laughs> y'all. This conversation, I think, is Star Wars for me in the last year. Because the perfect Jedi, I think, idealistically, as far as the tenets of the Order, is a Yoda figure that is just listening to the Force, not making yeah. any waves... And just existing. So, therefore, by taking any action at all, whether it's evil or compassionate, it kind of goes against the dogma of the Jedi. However, if you actually act on human compassion and what we think of as the quote-unquote light side, then you're not just listening to the Force because you're listening to the people in the world, the people that you're helping, which could be said to be part of the living Force. So you're aiding in that. But ultimately, I think the Jedi at this point in time were serving themselves and were starting to serve the Republic more. And the only ones that were trying to serve, quote unquote, the Force were doing so in a way that made them look kind of like psychopaths that didn't want to help anybody. And I think that's where the split started to happen. Yeah, the relationship between the Jedi and the Republic is so weird. So weird. And has always been a big issue all the way through Legends. I mean, I just finished Mm -hmm. the... Darth Bane trilogy and 
you know, the Jedi had huge issues with the Republic then. That's uh-huh. I think eight hundred year, a thousand years before the movie. So I don't know. That's a good question. That's like the that's like the the big issue with the Jedi is they seem torn about who they're supposed to serve. Yeah, because Luke, uh, there's a deleted scene in the Last Jedi where Luke gives the second lesson to Rey, and he fakes uh, an attack on the the caretakers of Octo, and he's <laughs> like, uh, "If you go help them, you're not a Jedi because a Jedi should listen to the Force and observe, and this is a this is meant to happen, and you sh- you can't intervene." And I think that's ultimately. Like the Buddhist philosophy of the Jedi flowing through, but Ray also then sprints to help them, um, because you know she's trying to be a good person and ultimately is telling us, "Hey, are the Jedi not good people?" Because that's kind of a scary thing to think about, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's a big question: is are the Jedi are the Jedi the good guys? I mean, yeah, the the Republic had gigantic issues. The Separatist movement was a legitimate movement, and yeah. Yeah, there were peaceful peaceful planets like uh, Senator Bonteri's planet, and mm-hmm. there were peaceful planets that had, um, you know, real qualms with the Republic and with the Jedi. And the fact that the Jedi sort of rose to the power to a military position was a big issue. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 no better way to say, hey, come join our coalition of people who are separating than to a planet that has either been attacked by pirates and the Republic didn't help, or is waiting for food resources that the Republic isn't helping, yet Jedi are going off to other planets and or sitting in this giant, amazing temple on Coruscant just thinking while you're starving, you know? There's yeah. definitely problems. Yeah, there there are, and it begs just these massive questions, and that's why I've had, I could go down the wormhole here, but I will say that I've had some reservations in exactly where we're headed with the overall thinking of the Jedi or whoever the Force users are headed into Episode Nine because it seems like we are headed more in that gray direction and mm-hmm. there's going to be equal light, equal dark. And I guess I'm losing a little bit. What does that say about what you are supposed to do as a Force user? When you encounter this evil, if you are its its counterpart in the light, do you guys just hang out, crack a beer, and, and watch reruns of Friends? <laughs> or, like, if you do anything, you're throwing the Force out of balance, and supposedly that's a bad thing. Yeah, the whole balance of the Force issue has always been a weird issue to me. Like, <clears throat> which is, it really brings up some interesting questions about Luke in um, Episode Eight because yeah. he talks about, like, it's vanity for the Jedi to say that they control the light because we, you can't control... Um, the force there's always light there's always darkness right Mm -hmm. there's it's the balance exists whether you want it to or not so i've always been really confused about like everybody's always talking about bringing balance to the force like i don't think anybody has to bring the balance the balance is already there right yeah i no, i think you're so right man i think that ultimately the force has existed before anything and will exist after anything and to have the cockiness to think like like you said and like Luke said the vanity that you can sway cosmic existence yes. is 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 kind of what gave the Jedi such an inflated sense of ego to say one we can define who we help and who we don't and two once we become soldiers and generals for a political system we can then decide no that was right as well because we are all powerful and all knowing and i think yeah. that's why Yoda went to Dagobah to completely flip it He's like, I will live in a swamp with nothing around no one and listening to nature because 
I went so far in the other direction and I kind of betrayed the force a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this book definitely did very interesting things for the discussion about the force. The interpretation of the prophecies was super interesting. Qui-Gon's mm-hmm. visions toward the end of the, uh, the worse and worse they got towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, super interesting to see how he interpreted that and how the Jedi council reacted to him. It was super interesting, but something I do want us kind of swing back around, change gears a little bit and talk about is some of the non force stuff in this book. Um, can we talk about Pax and Rahera? Yeah, minute? of course. Uh, so I don't, I, we didn't talk about that very much the first, the first time I, no, not remember. much at all. Um, Pax and Rahera. Let's, let's talk about them for a second. <laughs> so these are side characters in this book and holy crap, they are so good. Yeah. Like, jewel thieves. These, they're yes. jewel thieves. Yes. So I said this multiple times. I wrote it down in my notes. Um, my exact words were Pax and Rahera are movie quality characters. And I yes. like, totally think that's true. Like they were so well developed to be side characters to just mm-hmm. have a couple of chapters. You really didn't have a whole lot of screen time, if you will. Right. Um, but man, they were so good. Yeah. And I think Claudia Gray teased on her Tumblr or Twitter before this book was released that she based two characters off of Holmes and Watson from elementary specifically. Oh yeah, that's got to be with with is. Lucy Liu and uh oh what's his name? Uh, Johnny Lee Miller. Hmm. And she's like these are the two of them because Pax uh says or maybe it's a narration that says he has a soul but Rahara is the one who carries it around. Mm-hmm. She's the only one that can oh, yeah. speak God, to him that, that way. Was a, that was such a beautiful line. That it's was one of so, my favorite lines from the It's whole so book. beautiful and possibly the most descriptive thing I've read about two characters relationship in a single sentence. And it's so that's evident. So Pax is uh, uh, one of my favorite things. There's two things I want, I want to bring up here. Um, first of all, the whole Pax being raised by um, protocol droids in deep space until he was 21. 3PO's, yeah. Yes, was freaking genius. Like That, <laughs> that was everything you need to know about the character. Like mm-hmm. the, he, Because we know who C-3PO is, we know who Pax is. Like He is the human counterpart to C-3PO, which is awesome. Yep. And yet, I think it is great that they did make him human that they could have made him a droid right that had some yes. like but Which i think they always it, do they always they do, do. they do but yeah. i think that it allowed pax to find his own humanity throughout the story in realizing his connection to other humans to qui-gon to obi-wan but mainly of course to rahara or rahara and i thought that was just a beautiful character journey for him yeah, yeah that, and that, it that, that whole scene the whole scene at the towards the end of the book where Rahera gets sort of recaptured by Zerka, which I'll uh, come back to in yeah. a second. Um when she gets captured by Zerka and and he flash he's having these memories of leaving the protocol droids when they were rescued. And and one of my favorite scenes in the whole book that involved him as a character was when he was talking about his caretaker droids because they were all excited to go back to their you know, why they were programmed in the first place. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, finally, we can go do our real job. And he's like, but you're my family and you're all I have. And they just completely like, just, you know, got rid of him because that was the logical thing to do. And um, him sort of that inner tor- turmoil where he's like, should I do that? Should I just cast off for Hera? Because that's, you know, it's an inconvenience for me to have to try to rescue her. And for him to come to terms with his human emotions, it was so fantastically done. It was one of my favorite scenes in the whole book. When yeah. when he picked up her glove that he had gifted oh, her, oh, and it was all that was left, and it was like there was, you know, dirt clouds like billowing around, and and they could just barely make him out stooping down and picking up that glove. That was genuinely heartbreaking. Yeah, it and, was. and to bring it on like a more of a macro level too, with with this character, 
this is a character in Star Wars that conveys human affection by you know, you know giving her those gloves because he says, "Well, you're you need him to drive because he can't tell her that he loves her or that he cares." So he has to do all these weird social cues, and I think. Again, we, we keep saying Star Wars is so great right now because there are characters for everyone, no matter who you are. This is a character with some pretty rough social habits and yeah, someone that's sure. not cool. You're not Han Solo. You kind of don't know how to exist with people, yet he's still a hero. And I think that yeah. there's something, you know, and the macrocosm of Star Wars is really beautiful about that. Yeah, the, and the other... Sorry, go ahead, Charles. No, because I, I was going to talk about Rahera and move on to her. So oh, if you uh, have, I was, I was just yeah, actually transitioning into Rahera. Um, yeah. Zerka is back. What's up yes. with that? Yeah, um, is is this the first time? Okay, I might be crazy, but is this the first time Zerka has ever been mentioned in canon? I think it is. I really think it is. In okay, canon, Zer- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So Zerka, for the the less informed, was created. I think it was created for the Knights of the Old Republic game. I'm pretty yeah. sure it was. Um, but it's a huge corporation. It's talked about in this book all the time, and apparently, it's like they, they make references and jokes about it being possibly older than the Republic itself, like the company. So, um, very interesting that they brought Zerka back of all play of all, every mm-hmm. company they could have possibly brought into the Trade Federation, the Nemodians. We hear about this all the time. They brought Zerka back, which is awesome. It's so rad, especially because you said Claudia Gray at the Del Rey panel, I think it was, or the Lucasfilm publishing panel at Celebration, got the question, if you could write anything, what would it be? And she was like, I want to write KOTOR books. Yes. Yes. Let her write KOTOR books. (laughs) Yes. Where we all said, God, yes, please, anything, give her all the money. And she's like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to make Zerka come back because I want this. So good for her. Yeah. And relating to her saying that... um. There was there was that interview that some podcaster just briefly did with Kathleen Kennedy where she name dropped older public stuff as well. Right. So yep. that would be cool. But anyway, yeah, Charles, you're right. Let's move on to Rahera. Uh, she's an excellent character as well. Yeah, I mean, so she was basically, I'm going to say, Qui-Gon's first really in-depth exposure to maybe not slavery, but getting to know a slave in particular before Anakin. And it helped us understand better what maybe he was thinking and what was behind his actions in episode one. But it also gave us a look into maybe some of the horrors that Anakin or those around him may have been experiencing because we don't really get much of that in episode one. We see him flying a pod racer and maybe getting speaking or spoken to roughly, but we don't really get to see the horrors of it that Qui-Gon is awakening to in this book. Yeah, there is kind of a lessening of slavery in the prequels because, I mean, even Shmi gets bought as a slave by Lars and then gets married and gets killed by the Tusken Raiders, mm-hmm. not because she's a slave. And I and I actually commend th- these later books, uh, Queen Shadow and this specifically, for really treating slavery like the horror that it is in, in this universe and all universes. And the ho- abject horror, like you said, at which Qui-Gon or that's how Qui-Gon reacts to seeing it, says so much about him. And th- his disbelief at, like, are you seeing this? Yeah. And the living else. force, because th- if you talk about, again, what does the living force mean, your connection to other people around you right here, right now, in this moment, he's feeling all of their suffering. If he's apologizing to trees for cutting them down and shaking <laughs> Fern's hands, more or less, he is feeling that, you know, of, yeah. the, of the people yeah. that are slaves around him. 
Yeah, Claudia did a really great job with with the whole slavery conversation too. I mean, her her depiction of Rahera and the sheer horror and panic she had of being sort of recaptured yeah. by Zirka after being a free. Oh god, that free. that scene is horrific. It's so it is. It's terrifying. It was, so, it was scary, man. It was like scary. The droids come in and. Um, she has cut the like tracker out of her arm, right? Like burned it mm-hmm. off or whatever they they whatever kind of tracker. So she's like, "Oh, good, I, I my my tracker's out of the arm, out of my arm. Like the droid's not going to scan me or whatever." But then it scans her face, and he's and he's like, "What does it say?" It's just like identity confirmed, Zerka property or something like that. And I was just mm-hmm. like, "Oh god, yeah. <laughs> oh god!" Like the same technology that made Rahera a slave again unlocks my phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a scary thing. Oh, it whoa. was really not great as I was reading it. Uh, that's. I feel that's, more woke. Thank you. Eric. <laughs> You're yes. welcome. Yes. The the other thing I was going to say about the slavery conversation too is, um, it would have been amazing if slavery was the primary issue of the Phantom Menace because the yeah. entire tax, the tax trade issue. I don't even understand the Phantom Menace, and I have a, I own a Star Wars company, so right. like <laughs> whatever whatever the issue was with the Nemoidians, like that was just, it was dumb. Like everybody universally agrees that in the opening crawl, it's like what that taxation? What I don't yeah okay that was dumb. Can mm-hmm. you imagine what the what the tone of the prequels would have been if slavery was the primary issue and then Anakin was a slave? Yeah. It's it's way more chosen one, that's for sure, and it actually yeah. makes the Jedi a whole different beast because inadvertently we now kind of have a Jedi Council which repeatedly condones slavery, and yeah, but they also pick and choose like other more important issues to take care of, like right. disagreements between yeah, it's goofy, and so. are also founded on the consensual abduction of children. <laughs> yes you know that's yes. how they bolster their ranks they say obi-wan was ancient at three and rail was almost you know an adult at age five coming into the temple so yeah you have maybe, inter- maybe the jedi have screwed up in like uh, understanding of slavery anyway yeah so fa- i'm fascinated i want books as, as we're getting near the end i want books about the kind of a lot of the slave trade a lot of the dirty slave trade in the republic i also want as we said earlier a book that goes over the origins of the jedi and the republic coalescing mm-hmm. and see how how did that first meeting go you know something just occurred to me when you guys were talking about the slavery issue anakin vows or or says that he's going to come back and free the slaves on tatooine or maybe he even says slaves in general mm-hmm. right uh in the prequels does he do that whenever he gets rid of the emperor and the empire no. In Return no. of the Jedi? Slavery existed before the Empire. It exists long after it. Okay. All I right. I think. I'm looking for more prophecies to be fulfilled. Yeah, well, I'm Charles, that says more. more about you than it does about the prophecies, as we've established. <laughs> I just want a whole book from Clyde E. Gray, and the whole thing is prophecies. That's it. <laughs> we well, might guys, get one. As, as we're sort of wrapping up here, we obviously all really loved um, Master and Apprentice. Do we want to do what we kind of usually do with our... Uh, we usually do it with round tables. I don't know if we'll ever do a round table with our whole team on this book. We should. Um, but what, what would you guys rate this book out of a 10 scale? I think I I think I think originally gave it a 9. And, like, I I don't know why to not give it a 10, frankly. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm giving it a 10. I feel like I'm not able to give a 10 for whatever reason. Like, it would have to be a book that just – it was – anything i could have ever imagined and then some so i will give this a 9.5 
Great. Yeah, I, I would put it somewhere between nine point five and ten as well. And I'm I'm kind of with you, Charles. I like will never give a book a ten, but Master and Apprentice was I I was just totally on fire the yeah. whole time I was reading it. It's a book I, I actually want to reread. Less yeah, than, I mean, I, 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 I don't do that. I started listening to the audiobook with my wife on a on a trip we took recently, just because I was like, "Hey, I just finished this literally yesterday, but I will listen to it all again because it's that good." Like really? right now, and yeah, and it it holds up too, and it, it makes you want to read it, and you like uh, you have to not give away all the plot points when you're right. listening to an audiobook after you le- after you read it. But yeah, this book was fantastic. Claudia Gray is absolutely a superstar in mm-hmm. in canon books. Please. Let her write Kotor books. That's all I have to say. Hey, whatever Project Luminous is, I, her, I'm so ready for, for her part of it. And based on, again, as we said, the earlier a tease of Dooku Jedi Lost, Kevin Scott is, is carving his way too, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so as we wrap this up, I do want to run through some random thoughts, some Easter eggs and whatnot like we normally do with our roundtables. You guys throw some in here if you have some. A few that we talked about. Number one, I have to take it there. Count Dookie. That happened in this book. Someone called him Count Dookie. And I expect there to be revenge for that in Dookie Jedi Lost. Number two, Maz totally serves Rail a drink from her cantina on Takadana on page 285. Who the the hell is Maz, Charles? Who is Han? Who is Han? That's my rebuttal. Maz Kanata. <laughs> okay, related to your Dookie comment, my favorite line in the entire book is when it was that Yoda quote. I don't have it directly, but it was like, up the hell he should shut. That when when Rails mocking Yoda. That was amazing. That yeah. was beautiful. That was beautiful. Up the hell and he they, should shut. They brought back some other terminology. We see, I, it was one of the Jedi say Karabast on page yep. 297, yep. which is straight cool. straight from Rebels. Um, rail to Obi-Wan at one point says that, hell, you could have cut him in two. Foreshadowing of Maul. That's yep. what I think. His his strike is so true, he just cuts everyone in half uh, when his lightsaber has not been tampered with. New lore from this book. New important, potentially, characters. We got a Chancellor Cash, who is the oh, first cool. female Chancellor that yeah. we've gotten, yeah, she I was believe. Awesome. Wait, she took... Tegruta. Was she? Tegruta. She was yeah. yeah. Um, Darth Rend, who is a new Darth we've never heard of. We could get some expansion on that. Jedi Master Poli Depatian, Depatian, who is retiring. I didn't think people did that, really, from the Jedi Council. <laughs> Apparently, but, you can retire Jedi Like, Can you imagine them bringing in a cake and like the lights are dimmed and Yoda's singing happy birthday, but in reverse of how everyone else is saying <laughs> yeah, the lines? They're like, God, they're like, Yoda. Is there like a retirement package for when you leave yeah. the Jedi Council? What's the pension like? not benefit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, apparently Dooku and Jocasta knew were friends back in the day. Mm-hmm. Apparently good friends. So it makes it even cooler that she is the one that explains the lost to Obi-Wan in the uh, you know cut or deleted scenes from some of the prequels. Yeah. Oh, I bet they she had was... some fun in the stacks. Oh gosh! Don't, Listen, oh, man, I don't they could have had a little romance. She was a mm. giant douchebag to Obi Wan in the Attack of the Clones. So yeah, well, <laughs> if it's not ever... in the Jedi archives, it doesn't exist. <laughs> hey, hey, she gets a lightsaber gun in the comics. So like, yes, she, she <laughs> read the comics. She is ba, dude. She is cool. Love her. Uh, and then one of the final things I think I have: Kyber crystals apparently only take on their color after bonding with the Jedi. 
I don't remember if we've necessarily uh, seen that explained I, before. The story group really needs to get their crap together when it comes to kyber crystals and the crystals uh, and the lightsaber because we have so much like fake lore. About yeah, Jedi I love crystal lore, man. I am so into kyber crystal lore. I love like the bleeding of the lightsabers Charles Soul put in. I think is is so awesome. I love that the the sabers mean different colors but that being said we all work for a star wars company and we couldn't tell you what the different colors actually mean well and someone asked that question in the book i think fanry is like do the colors mean anything and obi-wan totally sidesteps it and i felt like that was like gray being meta and like sidestepping <laughs> yeah. that and just being like mm, that was a, that was a that great one. scene by the way that whole scene of obi-wan just deconstructing the lightsaber for someone yeah that was ever beautiful. seen a lightsaber deconstructed in a book before that was fantastic it yeah. was cool that was cool. Uh, last thing, he also does say that, quote, a few kyber crystals have turned purple, and I believe the only canon one we have is Mace. Is that right? Yeah, because Revan canon. had one, but that's not canon anymore. Right. Yeah. So apparently there are others out there that we might see down the line, and I think that's pretty cool. I love it. And so goes Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice. That's Check right. Out. <sighs> find it on utini.com. Next week, we'll go a little more into Dooku Jedi Lost, depending on how much each of us have read, along with some other topics of the week. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys about this novel? It's really good. I highly encourage you to read it. I would put this in my top books that I recommend to people if they've never read Star Wars book before. I would absolutely think picking up Master and Apprentice would be super easy as a new reader. So it's really great. Check it out. You can find it on our website. You can see where it fits in the timeline and everything um, on utini.com. Uh, yeah, it's great. Highly recommended. Charles? Yeah, I would echo all of that. Pick it up. If you like Jedi, if you like The Force, which you probably do if you're listening to this podcast, it's worth the read, and I think it's going to play really well with Dooku Jedi Lost afterwards. I think we'll have a lot to talk about between the two. You guys nailed it. (laughs) And with all that, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. Uh, As always, make sure that you head over to utini.com for all of your EU needs, including reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy, including Master and Apprentice. If you want your thoughts on this very show, email us at livingforcepod at utini.com. You can tweet at us at at livingforcepod. Or better yet, join our Utini Discord community, which can be found on the main page of the site. Tell us anything you think about this book and Star Wars books in general. Uh, another couple thank yous. Thank you to Matt, our amazing editor and intro creator. Freddie, our technical wizard. And Wes, who's our community manager. Thank you all for listening, and may the Force be with you. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time. May the Force be with you.